Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. What's up, everybody? Great to see you guys this weekend. Thanks for being at Lake Point. Man, glad you're here. We welcome all of our campuses, uh, all, all the campuses all over uh, the, the Dallas area, plus Mexico. Those of you that might be joining us online as well. Man, so grateful for y'all. Uh, you need to know if it's the first time at Lake Point how excited we are you're here. This is just a place of imperfect people who are just trying to uh, get to know a perfect God. This is a place where anybody can get to know Him, and you can find freedom, and you can discover your calling. And the cool thing is, we get to make a difference together in this life. Uh, my name is Mike Bro. In case we never met, I get to be on the teaching team. It's been so much fun for me to get to hang out with y'all for, for a month. And uh, Pastor Josh will be back next weekend to continue this series, and he's going to be rested and fired up. So just be ready for him. Uh, we've been in a little series we're calling Shoes, where not only did we collect a bunch of shoes to give away to kids in need, uh, we've also uh, been stepping into the shoes of different people who encountered Jesus. Yeah, I've I've always laughed at the old Steve Martin line, uh, before you criticize a man, walk a mile in his shoes. That way, when you do criticize him, you'll be a mile away when he finds out you got his shoes. (laughs) But we learn from each other when we walk in each other's shoes. We started this series with a pair of stilettos as we met a woman uh, who had been used and abused, and Jesus meets her right in the middle of her shame, gets down to the dirt with her, and changes her life. It's such a cool story. Week two, we met this uh, buttoned-up academic intellectual wingtip wearer named Nicodemus, and we watched him move from doubter to defender to fully devoted follower of Jesus. Another cool story. Last weekend, we pulled on an old pair of work boots, and we met this hard-working blue-collar military guy who amazed Jesus. And we learned that the one thing that's always amazed God is humility. So if you missed any of the, the episodes of Shoes, you can get on our website and you can find them and, and listen or re-listen. Uh, my constant prayer throughout this whole series is that you'd get to know Jesus better because there's nobody like him. Almost 40 years ago, I was challenged to write a life mission statement. I sat down, and, and this is what I came up with. I just wrote, I want to look, love, and live like Jesus. That's it. Now, I've got a long, long way to go, but I'm telling you, it's a pursuit uh, worthy of chasing. Uh, so, and, and I got to be honest with you, this, this whole series feels kind of timely to me. Because what if in our current culture, with God's help, we just try to embrace and value all people? I mean, from the womb to the tomb, the way Jesus does, to just be a light, to be known in this world for our love, and not just talk a good game, but actually put our love into action. I think if we did that, we would really make a difference in this world. Well, today, uh, we're going to lace up a pair of these. 
Uh, maybe you've worn a pair of cleats on a football field, a soccer field, maybe a baseball field. They give you traction. They help you cut. They help you push off. They help you dig in and stand firm. Anybody remember the old commercial for Under Armour where you had these ripped athletes walking in their cleats on concrete out of the stadium tunnel toward the field? They're going click, clack, kick, click, clack. We must protect this house. And that's what we're talking about today. Talking about going to battle. Talking about protecting this house, our soul. Talking about lacing them up and digging in, click, clack. And the person wearing these shoes today is not someone who encountered Jesus. It's Jesus himself. I, I want to look today at a unique encounter that Jesus had, not with another person, but with the devil. It's found in Matthew chapter 4, which is the first book of the New Testament part of the Bible. Uh, it's, if you've got an app, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to that. Uh, we're going to put on the screens as well, and we'll all can track along together. But before we get there, let me just give you a few things about the one that Jesus called the devil, or the slanderer, the accuser, the serpent, the great dragon, the thief, the prince of this world, Satan, the father of lies. Whether it's Hollywood movies, Netflix series, Saturday Night Live skits, or some silly cartoon image, for Satan to appear as a mythological superstition is perfectly fine with him. In fact, one of the greatest tricks the devil has ever pulled was convincing the world that he does not exist. But according to the writers of Scripture, and most importantly, Jesus, there is a devil, and he's not a fictional character in a Harry Potter novel. He is real and this cunning source of evil and the most influential creature on earth. He's powerful, he's vile, he's dark, and very, very full of himself. Now, through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, his fate has been sealed. Make no mistake about it, one day he will be no more. But on his way out, his end goal is destruction. In fact, Jesus said of him, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And you know what his main weapon of mass destruction is? Lies. While Jesus claims to be the truth, he draws this sharp contrast between he and the devil. It says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I mean, think about it. Deception has been his strategy since the Garden of Eden. And it's not so much that he wants you and I to tell lies as it is he wants us to live lies. I just finished a great book by John Mark Comer called Live No Lies. It's so good. And you ought to pick it up. A great summer read. I highlighted, underlined, starred, circled as much as I've ever written in any kind of book. Uh, and this is one of the highlighted sections that, that he writes in the beginning pages of his book. He says, surely we can agree that our world is not thriving. The last few years in my country have been marked by social unrest, online outrage, and widespread disillusionment over the status quo. The pain of 2020 gave birth to one of the largest protest movements in American history. And as much as we'd like to blame them, be they liberals or conservatives, Antifa or the Proud Boys, or whomever it is we fear or hate, we all know that something is off within us, inside our own souls. The war against our soul is not fought with guns or tanks or bombs. It's a war of lies. And it is. That's what caused the Apostle Paul to write this in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies 
of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. It's not people. Much more sinister than that. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I mean, every day it can feel like this supernatural war on our souls, can it? We'll hear the enemy of our soul, the father of lies, our accusers say, so, your life's going to be different? <laughs> really? Come on, how many, how many times are you going to say that? You know how weak-willed you are. You have no discipline. You have no self-control. You have made these kind of promises a thousand times. Nothing's ever going to change. So why even try? Anyway, change is way too scary. You've gotten so used to living this way. It's just kind of your normal face. It change is futile, and you're stuck. Excuse me, God, God's help? You really think he would help a person like you? He wants nothing to do with you. All the broken promises, truth. What is truth? Just follow your heart, man. You do you. Whatever you feel is right is right. If you want to be somebody, if you want to get somewhere, you're going to have to do your own thing, and that's something I can definitely help you with. You've got to devise your own plan because, honestly, God doesn't give a rip about you. Lie after lie after lie after lie. You've heard all those, haven't you? And more. I mean, I certainly have. And so did Jesus. Jesus had to deal with the same kind of accusing whispers. He had to listen to the same lies. He had to wrestle with the same temptations that we do. He had to lace them up daily and bring his A game. So let's look how he did it. Matthew chapter 4 starts like this. Then, this is right after his baptism in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, you think? The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, well, it's written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down because it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Now, this may have been a, you know, a panoramic spot in Palestine where he could have seen all the roads leading to all the major kingdoms of the day, Rome, Greece, Egypt, Persia, Assyria, all this, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. The angels came and attended him. Sound like your last 40 days? Let me give you a little background here. People have been waiting for the Messiah to show up for a long time, and they were expecting a conquering Savior, this warrior king on a white horse wearing a regal robe, and Jesus shows up, you know, covered in sawdust, and he's wearing a Joseph and Sons, you know, home improvement t-shirt. Surely, this, this is God. Surely God would not be so common. This is not the kind of Messiah that people have been anticipating for so long. They needed a, someone to look and be anything but like average. 
They needed a political Savior who would crush the opposition of Rome. They wanted an economic Savior to make their lives easier. They needed this ring, regal, kingly Messiah who could restore their nation back to the golden years of prominence. And people would wrestle with this. The religious leaders would wrestle with this. His closest followers like Peter, James, John, Judas, they all would wrestle with this. Even John, the guy who baptized him in the Jordan River and heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased, he would later doubt the identity of Jesus. But before any of them had a chance to wrestle with what kind of Messiah would he be, Jesus had to wrestle with it himself. He would have to wrestle with, who am I? And why am I here? And what do I really want to accomplish? I mean, what's my focus? Can I really go through with this plan? Can I really imagine a cross in my future? There's got to be another way. There's got to be like a shortcut. Can I really endure the pain and lay down my life for the sins of the world? I mean, all kinds of internal struggle. So, riding the spiritual high of his baptism, Jesus goes into the desert to be alone with his Father, to get focused on the task at hand, and it's there that temptation shows up. Any of you ever try fasting? I'm trying to build that discipline into my life. I'm learning that it's a good thing to channel my inner toddler and regularly tell my flesh, you are not the boss of me. But historically, I've not been a very good faster. Now, I know that's not a real spiritual thing to admit to, but it's true. I've done a three-day fast before. The whole time, I was weak. I was hungry. I had a headache. I was dreaming of the Krispy Kreme hot sign. Jesus goes for 40 days, and he's spiritually strong, but he's physically empty. He's very hungry and very weak, and Satan appeals to his flesh, which is another main strategy of his. And he says, hey, Jesus, water burger? I said, come on, Jesus, gratify your appetites. You're hungry. Flex your power right now to satisfy yourself. Man, if you could just turn these stones into bread, you could eat. Hey, with your power, you could turn these stones to cheesecake. Think about that. And besides that, just think, you could feed other people too, because I know you're like big into compassion and all that stuff. There's lots of hungry people around these parts. Man, you would have them literally eating out of your hand. You would be the most popular guy going if you could do that. And you know that's what they're looking for. That's the kind of Savior they want. It's the economy, stupid. Feed them, and they will follow you by the thousands. That's the way politicians work. That's the way dictators rise to power. They certainly don't rise to power by going to a cross. Come on, Jesus. That's just stupid. This is your chance. Now, you do know, don't you, that Jesus had the power to turn those stones to bread? Remember later he turns water into wine? He takes two, two fish and five biscuits and feeds 5,000 people with them? But in this moment, he refuses to indulge his appetites with his miraculous power. He refuses to impress the people. He would wait on God's timing. With resolve, he says, I'm not a bread Messiah. I didn't come to be their economic Savior. I didn't come to feed their bellies. I came to feed their soul. And besides that, he quotes Deuteronomy 8.3 from the Old Testament Scriptures. It's written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's something deeper that satisfies a man. There's something deeper that satisfies a woman. There's someone greater that I hunger for, and that's my relationship with my Father, and I will humbly feed on His words and not your lies. Let me give you a few things about appetites. Andy Stanley helped me get a handle on this a few years ago. The first thing is this, appetites were created by God and distorted by sin. Appetites were created by God. 
and distort it by sin. We were made in the image of God, and He gave us all kinds of appetites. I mean, think about it. There's an appetite for food. There's an appetite for sex. There's an appetite for a—I know there's more than that. Uh, but he, he wired us up with all kinds of healthy desires. The desire to be loved, that's a good thing. The desire to achieve is a good thing. Sexual desire is a good thing. To create is a good thing. To win is a good thing. To want more responsibility is a good thing. God created all those appetites and drives, but sin distorted them. And when we walk with God and do life His way, all of those desires can be expressed in a very healthy, God-honoring way. But when we take it into our own hands and we live lies, those desires become almost insatiable and totally self-centered. Because have you noticed appetites know only one word? That word is more. Our appetites really only have one word in their vocabulary, and the word is more. Think about it. If we get a little raise, we want what? More, right? If we get a little applause, get a little respect, we want more. If we get some likes or we get some retweets, we want more. No matter how much we achieve, how much we accumulate, we always want more. I thought about this the other night, reading at a new restaurant, and I had just polished off my enormous burger and half a Debbie's meal, and I said, man, that was so good. Have you ever said that? I said, I, I am so stuffed. I may never eat again. You ever say that? And then the server comes by with that dessert tray. <laughs> kind of interesting buying some dessert, and I'm thinking, mm, well, maybe I can manage a little more. We always think there's room for a little more, and we live as if there is something out there that will finally make us go, oh, that, that, that's it right there. Whew, that's enough. But that does not exist. Have you experienced also that appetites always scream right now, never later? Your appetites and mind scream, come on, you need to move on this now. You need to grab this now, feel this now, taste this now, drink this now, watch this now. You need to experience this right now. But you know as well as I do, when your appetites lead the way, when your flesh, when your self is in the driver's seat and instant gratification is your GPS, you don't stand a chance. I mean, more families have been wrecked because somebody could not control their appetite for more. And that's why Satan appeals to our flesh. And that's why Paul, again, writes this in Galatians chapter 5. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in, they're in conflict with each other. So I've had to ask myself, what or who is guiding your life? If flesh or spirit, bro, are you honestly letting your appetites be your GPS? Are you allowing your feelings and impulses to guide your life, or are you allowing the spirit to guide your life? And can I just lovingly ask you the same? Who's currently leading, flesh or spirit, lies or truth? Which one? I mean, honestly, what are you really hungry for? Are you still chasing some elusive something out there? Have you found him to be more than enough? Because Jesus promises if we hunger for God, we will be satisfied. Here's, here's a few things I've noticed about the nature of temptation. First of all, temptation is universal. Temptation is universal. We all, we all wrestle with something. As those uh, brilliant theologians, the Zach Brown band say, we, we are all in the same boat, fishing in the same hole. 
and pretending that is not the case so we can appear better than we actually are is extremely unhealthy. Again, Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. But remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. I've said it a bunch. Most of us are like the rest of us. We all struggle with something. So what is it for you? I've discovered the importance of kind of naming what my signature sin is, what could take me out. I pray that search me, oh God prayer. God, point out what my it is. What is in me that keeps me from being your best version of me? And let's just go to work on that. Uh, is it my pride? Is, is it sex? Is it porn? Is it money? Is it alcohol? Is it envy? Is it insecurity? Is it fear? Is it a judgmental spirit? Is it unforgiveness and resentment? Is it anger? I mean, what is it for me? Because we all wrestle with something and understanding what it is that can take us out and then being honest with yourself and honest with God and honest with a trusted friend is huge in standing up to temptation. You know, we sometimes think that Jesus like automatically did the right thing without any kind of struggle. I mean, after all, he was like the son of God. He had a slight advantage in the no sin department. But remember this, God became flesh. He had to battle the same lies. He had to battle the same flesh. Even though Jesus was completely divine, he was also fully human. He laid down his divine prerogatives to become one of us for 33 years. He got hot. He got cold. He got zits. He got sunburned. He sweated. He burped. He threw up. He hit his thumb with a hammer. In fact, talking about Jesus, the Bible says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Jesus was wrapped in the same human flesh that you and I live in. He experienced the same temptations. He knew the same instincts, impulses, appetites, desires, and drives that we have. You're saying, are you kidding me? You mean, you mean, you mean Jesus was tempted to get high and smashed at a party? Yep. Jesus was tempted to tell his parents to take a hike? Yep. Jesus was tempted to cheat and steal and cover up with lies? Yep. You mean he was tempted to power up on people and get revenge? Yep. You saying Jesus was tempted to make fun of other people? Yep. He was tempted to fool around with sex outside of marriage? Yep. You're saying Jesus was tempted to bag the whole cross idea and use his power to be rich and happy and famous and comfortable? You bet. Tempted in every way that we are. But he did not sin. He overcame temptation because of his honest, ongoing intimacy with his Father. And if we have any shot at it, we have to pursue the same kind of relationship. And listen, you will never get so spiritually mature that you won't be tempted to do wrong. And the sin is not in the temptation. It's in the giving into it. I've been a Jesus follower for over 40 years now. I've been involved in ministry almost that long. And I feel like I'm walking with God every day, but I still have to lace them up and battle temptation every single day. The lies that are told to me by the world and by the enemy of my soul, not to mention my own flesh, my own pride, ego, temper, choice of attitude, envy, all that stuff, it just keeps coming day after day after day. A young man asked an old pastor one time, he said, man, how long will I have to battle lust? The old guy said, son, I wouldn't trust myself till I've been dead about three days. Which leads us to the next truth about temptation. Temptation is relentless. It's relentless. I had to reread this text again. Then I read Luke's account of it too. 
it wasn't that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and one afternoon around 3 o'clock, the devil stops by. This was intense temptation for 40 days. He hassled him for 40 days. Like Monday day two, hungry? These stones looking pretty good, aren't they? Monday afternoon, hungry yet? Feeling lonely? Jesus, you could be immensely popular. Forget that going to the cross stuff. You could have a pretty cushy life right here, right now. Just relentless coming at him. I want you to see how Luke's account of this temptation closes. It says this in Luke 4.13, when the devil had finished all these temptations, he left him until an opportune time. Satan left him for a more opportune time. When, when was that? One commentary I was reading suggested in the Garden of Gethsemane. I thought, no, I think it was the next day and the next day. Because right after this encounter, he has to deal with his family in his negative hometown. Then he has to deal with his immature disciples and the conflict of his own role and the adoration of the masses and these hate-filled, the hate-filled criticism of these religious leaders, the betrayal of close friends, all kinds of conflicting desires that were battling inside of him his whole life. Gang, the struggle for your soul is not a one-day tug-of-war or a 40-day conflict. You are in for a daily battle, so you better lace them up and bring your A-game. And you better have God on your team. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray. He said, you ought to ask God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In other words, every day, say, God, I need you to be with me today. I'm asking you to show me your ways, teach me your paths, guide me in your truth. Show me in the middle of the crossroad of temptation. Show me that way of escape. Give me the power to defeat the relentless pursuit of temptation. One more observation. Have you noticed also that temptation is always looking to like to throw a cheap shot? Temptation throws cheap shots. It may come at you when you are on top of the world, spiritually speaking. Some of you have recently experienced that. You may have given your life to Christ recently. You had this very real heart-to-heart -heart encounter with God. Maybe it was at a summer student camp, or maybe you got baptized, and all of a sudden, just felt like the heat kind of got turned up. Remember, Jesus had just been baptized. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He's fasting. He's close to God, and Satan comes after him. I think the danger is we can get so overconfident, we can get even a little cocky, we can let down our guard and say those six fatal words, it could never happen to me. I would never break my marriage vows. I mean, I would, I would never make a shady business deal. I would never disappoint my kids. I would never, I would never lie to my parents and cover my tracks. I would never get plastered and get behind the wheel of a car. I would never turn my back on a friend. I would never take a spiritual nosedive and jeopardize my ministry. Paul again writes, don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Sometimes he comes at us when we're riding some kind of success. But it's been my experience that most of the time it comes when you and I are the most vulnerable, when we're like at the bottom of an emotional pit. I mean, you get some bad health news, and you're vulnerable to disillusionment or bitterness, and he comes after you. Or maybe your relationship at home is not the greatest, and you're vulnerable, and somebody at work starts flirting with you. And so down that road you go. Or you start going to AA meetings, or you start going to Regen, you're doing great, but then you lose this big account at work, and a friend says, come on, man, let's go have a drink and forget about it. 
Or you get on a plan to lose some weight and get in shape, and after you finish your little bitty piece of chicken on the barbie with steamed vegetables, someone at the next table gets chocolate thunder from down under. And all of a sudden, man, you are vulnerable, right? Now, unlike God, Satan is not omnipresent. Now, the Bible indicates that he's well organized. He's got lots of help in the demonic world. And also, unlike God, he is not omniscient. He is not all-knowing. But like Facebook knows what you've been searching for, he keeps excellent records. And he knows our weaknesses, and he knows what our hot buttons are. <laughs> like the guy who went to the doctor and said, Doc, I broke my arm in two places. Doctor said, well, stay out of those places. Sorry, that was stupid. But Satan, Satan knows the places of our vulnerability. He knows. And in those vulnerable times, temptation will come at us. Do you see why inner character is so important? Do you see why inner supernatural strength on the inside of you and me is vital? Do you see why knowing God and knowing His Word and pursuing this intimate friendship with Him is so crucial? This time in the desert enabled Jesus to conquer inner space before He began this external ministry to the masses, and every temptation helped Him take an honest, deep look inside. Satan throws a cheap shot in the desert when he comes to Jesus and says, okay, okay, I get it. It's a no to the whole turn the stones to bread thing. How about this? All these kingdoms, they're yours. All the possessions, all the power, all the perks, all the prestige, you could have it all. You could rule it all. Jesus, listen to me. With your power and your charisma and your gifts and your personality, I could make you an overnight superstar. And that's what it's all about. If you would just avoid the painful cross, and who wouldn't want to do that, and just bow down and worship me. Now, the word structure here indicates this was not an ask for ongoing allegiance, just a one-time deal. And that's how he starts, isn't it? Jesus, check it out. Just worship me just this one time. I mean, what's the big deal about that? Anyway, no one will ever know you're out of here all by yourself. I can give you all this stuff, all these kingdoms, the economic kingdom, the entertainment kingdom, all the political kingdoms, they will all be yours. All you got to do is do it my way instead of God's way. What do you say? Well, Jesus again quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, a section known as the Shema. Every Hebrew child grew up learning this, including Jesus. So it was already in his mind. It was already in his heart. And he says, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You know what? I'm interested in only one kingdom, and that's the kingdom of God. And there's only one who is worthy of my worship and worthy of my allegiance and worthy of my adoration, and you are not that one. So, Satan comes in from another angle. He says, you know, Jesus, you know what you need? You need an agent. Uh, let, let me teach you how to get a crowd. You, you've done the whole low-key approach. You know, look, you, you, tried, you tried that unspectacular manger in a stable thing. What did that get you? Got you a few shepherds. You live in a little bitty hick town. You've been doing carpentry work. The only guy promoting you out there is some desert freak who eats grasshoppers every day. Let me market you. Let me be your publicist. You could use, honestly, a little makeover. You could use a little flash, a little spectacular. That's what the people need. You know, you know that's what the people want. So, Jesus, picture this. I'm thinking, I'm thinking you could throw yourself down off the apex of the temple. It's about 100 feet to the bottom of the Kidron Valley. You could do this swan dive thing. And then out of nowhere, the angels could swoop down out of heaven because that's what Scripture says. By the way, Satan knows Scripture, and he knows how to twist it. 
and definitely twist Psalm 91 right here. He said, they will swoop down and catch you, and you'll just float to the ground. Now, that's what I'm talking about. That is an entrance. You do that, Jesus. Not only will you be on SportsCenter Top 10 every night, you will go viral. People will go crazy. They will love you, especially the religious people. And you know they're going to be your toughest sell. That's the kind of Messiah they are expecting. That's the kind of Messiah they're longing for anyway. You know they're not going to go for this crucified Savior on a cross thing. Mark my words, you're going to wind up misunderstood, rejected, forsaken, and alone. And who in their right mind would want to do that? So why not play to the crowd? Get like a billion likes. Get your name in lights and receive the adoration of the masses. Come on, what do you say, Jesus? Well, Jesus knew the rest of that verse is Satan twisted. And he comes back and says what Scripture really says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He says, I'm not about to put my father to some silly swoop down out of heaven to rescue me test just so my ego can get stroked or so I can feel the applause and acceptance of the public. I'm already accepted by the one who matters most. And I've resolved to live my life for his approval and his approval alone. And for me, that's more than enough. And with that, I believe he got up and walked out of that battle full of confidence and peace and passion and purpose and focus. He knew who he was. He knew why he was here. And he knew what he wanted to accomplish with his life. He said, you know the kind of Messiah I am? I'm a preach the good news, release the captives, lay down his life for the sins of the world kind of Messiah. That's who I am, and that's why I'm here, and that's what I am going to accomplish with my life. And nothing is going to distract or detour me from doing what my Father wants me to do with my life. And let me ask you this. Aren't you glad he didn't cave in? Aren't you glad he didn't bail? Aren't you glad that he did not feed his ego and gratify his appetites and play to the crowd and stockpile his portfolio and short-circuit the plan of God? Jesus had a choice that day. And he chose us. I mean, think about this. If Jesus had chosen to go the other way, Israel would have had a great economy for a few years. Rome would have been totally out of their hair. He would have been regarded as a really popular world leader. And the whole world would still be locked out of heaven. Instead, he chose us. Jesus recognized the lies because he had such a deep relationship with the truth. And so should we. So should we. Now, you know as well as I do, the same lies get told, the same strategy gets employed against you and me, that God is this unreasonable, strict, unfair, twisted kind of being on an enormous ego trip, and you should be able to call your own shots. Satan comes along and says, come on, man, let, let, let him cheat off your paper. Everybody does it anyway. You know how being smart in school is not all that popular. So, this is one way you can make it work for you. Let them cheat. They'll love you for it, and you'll be in. He comes along and says, come on, everybody else in this fraternity gets absolutely wasted, and they seem to be having a great time. Don't be different. Look, look at you standing there with a Diet Coke in your hand. You, you, you want to spend your entire life being the designated driver? Come on, turn these stones to bread. Gratify your appetites right now. Just mellow out with a little meth, a little weed with your friends. It's not going to hurt you. And besides, you know it's the only way you're going to be able to stop the pain. He comes along and says, go on, just buy it. You need it. In fact, you deserve it. 
It's going to satisfy you in the deepest place of your soul. I know it might not make sense for you right now. I know you can't afford it, but hey, you only live once. He comes along and says, come on, just falsify the numbers. Just, just this one time. Think, you have been honest your entire life. No one's ever going to find out. It's the only way for you to get ahead, especially, especially with inflation rising. Besides, you know what? This company owes you. He comes along and says, come on, join their little gossip clique. Go ahead, post that snarky, divisive comment. I guarantee you, you will feel a lot better expressing yourself and tearing somebody else down. He comes along and says, dude, for crying out loud, would you open your eyes? Check her out. And she wants you. Come on, everybody has a fling at least once in their life. He says, go ahead, give him your body. I guarantee you, it'll make you feel pretty and special and loved and accepted because it, it, come on, it's just sex. And Jesus comes along and says, no, listen to me, Satan's a liar. In fact, he is the father of lies. He's only got one agenda. He comes only, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And he will use the same strategy he tried on me for ruining your life today. You know, I've heard coaches and experts say many times, defense wins championships. You've heard that, right? Defense wins championships. Now, don't get me wrong. Defense is huge. But the last time I checked, the team that scores the most points always wins. So God's been challenging me in recent years to not only like dig in and stand firm, but to go on offense, to put on my cleats so I can actually run and cut and take some ground. Instead of going through life, just always playing defense, thinking that faith and living for God is simply following a bunch of rules, don't do this, don't do that, stand up to this, endure that, resist that, avoid that. Instead of that, just go on offense. Start doing some positive, proactive things that will make a difference in your soul. For instance, like Jesus did, download God's Word into your heart and mind, just like He did. So in that moment, you'll have truth already in there to counteract the lies. Hang with God throughout the day. Talk to Him. Listen to Him. Live in the flow of His Spirit all day, every day. Sit down and write gratitude lists at the end of the day. Serve other people on a daily basis. Practice solitude. Take regular inventory of your soul's condition. Proactively practice forgiveness. Practice fasting from food, from social media, from your phone, from TV, from video games on a regular basis. Make, make worship a priority. Just build being here each weekend into the rhythm of your life. That's just what you do. Get in a community where you can be honest with your struggles so we can help each other on this journey. Exercise your body because there's a connection between the mind, the soul, and, and the body. Relax in the unfailing love of God every day. Just know who you are, that you are accepted, you are secure, and you are significant. Hit your knees first thing in the morning. Surrender your day to His strength. Let His grace flood your heart with light and love and kindness and goodness and joy and self-control. Go on offense. Do some proactive things. It's been my experience that a lot of people who wear a pair of cleats, uh, you know, been in athletics most of my life, a lot of guys talk a little trash. And so while you're on offense, you might as well talk a little smack, not to other people, but to Satan. A pastor gave me this about 20 years ago, and I have tweaked it throughout the years. It just says this, Satan, take note and listen well. You will not conquer me. I'm blood-washed, spirit-filled, daily delivered, strongly sanctified, and word indwelt. I am linked with a sovereign and eternal power, and I have set my face. You're extremely subtle but I'm on to your ways. You parade as an angel of light, but I walk in a brighter light. 
Your days of deception are over with me. I won't be deceived, detoured, derailed, distorted, distracted, discouraged, or disillusioned by your schemes. Your vile influence will not cross the no trespassing sign on the gate of my heart. My life is off limits to you now. My doors are closed to you forever. You won't walk in, crawl in, slither in, sneak in, pry in, jump in, swim in, fly in, drive in, or barge into my life. I have a permanent guest that now lives inside, and he cannot share this house with you. Face it, your days are numbered. Your kingdom is doomed. Your designs are dwindling. You're evilly eroding. Your devilishness dissolving. Your deception diminishing. Your death is dying, and your victory party has been canceled. You can't trap me with your schemes. You can't soil me with your subtlety or level me with your lies because he that is in me is greater than you. So get off my property. The one who endured those days in the desert, the one who chose to go through with the redeeming plan of God, the one who went on offense against sin and death, that guy, he's in us given us the power to do the same. So let's just lace them up. Let's stand firm. Let's take some ground. Let's push back the darkness. Let's live no lies. And let's let the truth of Jesus Christ set us free. Let's pray about that. Father, so grateful. Um, I'm grateful for all these people. They're just chasing after you, trying to figure it out. And we're all different levels. We're all some of us have been doing this a long time. Others of us, this is brand new to us. And I just want to thank you, Jesus, for meeting us where we're at, not, not where we ought to be. Just you meet us as is, and I, I thank you for that. And I, I pray for folks that are just starting this journey of faith, that they would just recognize that you are the greatest person who ever walked this planet. There's no one like you. And to aspire to be like you is, man, that's a worthy goal. So, Jesus, thank you for what you've been teaching us over the last few weeks. You have definitely uh, been the highlight of all these stories that we've shared. And uh, we do want to look like you and love like you and, and live like you. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for going to battle, staying strong, and moving steadily on toward a hill with a cross so we could live forever. And we are just literally, eternally grateful for that. And thank you with all my heart and pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church slash digital.